This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this fine Saturday. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. I'm Maura Dooley. And we're officially into June, you guys. June 1st. How did that happen? I swear. Oh my gosh. Creeps up. Uh, it, I don't, it's the start of parade season Yes. Uh, for many small towns across the country. And uh, we just finished up our own maritime parade in downtown Gig Harbor today. And it was, you know, about 20,000 people jammed down into the streets. Wow. Still going on. The festivities for two days. And tomorrow's a big, huge uh, classic car show. So summer is here. That's that's amazing. Gig Harbor really is such a fun community. I almost feel like because you are on the waterfront right there, there's something cool happening there every weekend that you end up telling us about, which is awesome. Well, to celebrate, speaking of summer, you guys have a pretty awesome giveaway that you're part of. Yeah, we partnered uh, several months ago with the folks at Sea Bear. They're one of the preeminent uh, fish smokehouses in the country. They're headquartered up in, in Anacortes. They've been around for um, more than 40 years. They're the ones that make the gold foil pouch smoked salmon that you see at um, Costco and retailers everywhere. We launched our BSB brown sugar smoked salmon with them. So today is the first day that Consumers can log on to enter our ultimate weekend experience partnered with Heritage Distilling and the folks at Seabear. Just go to heritagedistilling.com to enter. And what do you win? Well, a couple from any city in America will win flights from any major U.S. airport to SeaTech, uh, transportation in and around the Northwest, and you're going to spend a full day of Saturday up in Anna Quarters. You're going to tour the smokehouse, uh, have a VIP salmon lunch on the grill at their smokehouse there. You'll stay at the Majestic Inn uh, Friday night in Anacortes. You'll then come down to Gig Harbor toward the distilleries, have a VIP tasting room. We'll then take you to a Mariners baseball game, and you'll stay at a hotel in downtown Seattle on Saturday night before you head home. So it's a full weekend with smoked fish, booze, baseball, and uh, airfare on us. Really, what more could you want? That's like you're hitting all of everything right there. Can we enter? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is exciting. And yeah, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't take anything really to, to enter. All you have to do, log on to heritagedistilling.com. Is it's simple as that. And you could win this, which would be a pretty nice gift, by the way. I just want to mention that. There's a couple of holidays coming up. You got yeah. Father's Day coming up. You got, you know, a lot of birthdays in the summer. This might be, you know, you'd look pretty cool if this was a gift that you could give somebody. You do have to be 21 to enter and win. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, it, you know, if you're part of the... Uh, Works for Father's Day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What else is going on in the headlines this week? Well, this is a fascinating story that came out from the drinks business. Uh, a, a very expensive mistake. This was over in the UK at a steak restaurant called Hawksmoor. A diner ordered a $300 bottle of wine and was accidentally given a bottle of wine worth more than $5,000. Oh, my gosh. The wait staff, the wait staff messed up, and uh, they accidentally were given a bottle of Chateau Lepin Pomerel from 2001, which is on the menu right now for 4500 
British pounds. And uh, the owner went on to Twitter and had a very tongue-in-cheek uh, response and said, we hope you enjoyed your evening. To the member of the staff who accidentally gave it away, chin up. One-off mistakes happen, and we love you anyway. So what a great surprise for someone who thought they were only ordering a $300 bottle of wine. Yeah, wow. That must be an epic uh, epic upgrade for them. And, yeah, yeah, I'm glad that this restaurant isn't just throwing that person under the bus. Although maybe behind the scenes there was some, yeah there was a there was a yelling maybe a few cuss words said who knows my first thought was oh no that poor server but then at the same time anywhere I've ever worked if we have things that are much more expensive than yes. others usually there's somewhere where a manager has to go get them for you a or lock they're kept separate key. it's very strange that it was just that easily accessible like to make if, a mistake <laughs> if it's just an alphabetical thing and these two things are laying next to each other yeah that's kind of on the restaurant i i'm i'm with you mora there should be like <laughs> there should be a clear uh a do not serve this unless absolutely certain section and yeah. that would probably fall into but it. score for that diner right congrats <laughs> Well, as is the case uh, with human nature, what will probably happen for at least the next six months is there will be a flood of new customers going to that restaurant <laughs> wanting to try it and, you know, happy about the attitude of the owner because this has played in social media news outlets all around the world in the last week. So Yeah, you're right. Uh, They'll make up that money. Free publicity. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. What else is going on in the headlines? The uh, craze about artificial intelligence, otherwise known as AI, is all around us, and this one comes to us from Forbes. A Swedish distillery creates the first ever whiskey designed by artificial intelligence. Popular, award-winning Swedish whiskey distillery called Macmira releases their first ever whiskey, a single malt, designed with machine learning. They worked a partnership with Microsoft and Four Kind, which is a Finnish technology uh, consultancy. They, uh, the team specializes in AI spearheaded projects and the distillery made the claim now that this is the first ever machine learning design complex consumer product recipe. That, that's a mouthful. This blows my mind. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a huge artificial intelligence in general. It actually legitimately scares me. I'm not scared of, of a lot, a lot of things, but just amazing what machines are able and capable to do. And what if this really designed an absolutely epic Whiskey. I mean, who knows? That could be. Is that make us obsolete here, Justin? Are you worried for your job security? I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about artificial intelligence is supplanting regular intelligence, and uh, we see evidence of, of that every day. True. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But nothing's going to change that. So, uh, lastly, in the news from MSN.com, uh, they claim that this beer is America's favorite, quote unquote, and they say even though most people don't like to drink it, uh, they're attempting to determine America's favorite beer out of now more than 7,000 breweries. It ranges everything from Natty Light, uh, one of the college favorites, to Tangerine Silhouette Sour IPA, to all of the, the big brands you would know. And the winner of America's top most popular beer, number one, this actually surprised me, was Heineken at 47%. Wow. And the article goes on to say that even though it's, quote, America's favorite, uh, it really is both a recognition of, in recognition of, of recognition and quality, because Heineken is actually pretty clean quality beer, but it is not one that people enjoy drinking that much. And in fact, the article, which we will link to, is pretty fascinating. It shows geographic breakdown by parts of the country, by the kind of beer they like to drink the most. So, for example, in the southwest, all the way up through Idaho and Montana, it's Corona, which surprised me. I thought uh, the upper part would have been like, you know, from Colorado, Idaho, Montana, I thought it would have been 
Coors Light. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't. And what shocked me the most, the beer that was a favorite in Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, was Guinness. Yeah, that is quite uh, shocking to me. <laughs> it shocks me because, you know, it's a heavy, dark beer. It's not really one that you think about a hot day uh, quenching your palate. So, And I guess the Pacific Coast were Heineken people, apparently, according to this. I, I, would you say that's Evidently. true? Do you guys? I mean, I don't serve a lot at parties or anything like that. Yeah, I don't it's the one, that coming. <laughs> it's no. the one thing about Heineken. I read some other articles about how they market, and Heineken is not a beer that people go and order when they're at bars and restaurants, but it is the beer that they will pick if they're going to a party that's been hosted by somebody else, oh, and they want people to see them holding it. Wow, hmm. interesting. I wonder if that is just all branding, and it is just like a fancy green bottle. And I, They have had some good ads. They have, yeah, you're right. Branding matters. New England is Samuel Adams. That's about the one, right. the one that makes that sense. That makes sense. Yeah. We get it. <laughs> well, that leads perfectly into our topic of discussion this week. Next up on Cast Club Radio, we get into alcohol advertising, the limitations, the constraints of it. It's next on Cast Club Radio. <laughs> Club Radio, thanks again for hanging out with us today. We talked a little bit about it before the break, but alcohol advertising has evolved a a lot over the years. And when we watch ads on TV, we don't always think of all of the thoughts or even constraints that have gone into the ads that cross our minds, especially we work in the sports side of things, Mora, and we see a lot of these advertisements during the Super Bowl. They're a huge thing. But Justin, you've got an article that explains some of the some of the limitations of alcohol advertising. Yeah, so this is something that we deal with every day, and it's something we have to be uh, focused on in the alcohol trade. And as a distillery, we have similar rules we've got to follow as the wineries and breweries have to follow, but also some different ones. And the first thing that people are most interested in hearing about is how do you get your ads approved? And the reality is is that there is no central agency or body that actually approves your ads. So all these beer ads, wine, distilled spirits ads, uh, now the new hard seltzer ads and and the cider, there is no agency that that reviews those. Um, You uh, make the ad, and as long as you follow the regulations, you give it to the TV or radio stations or the newspapers or whatever your, your print outlet is, and you run them. And uh, the state and the feds have the right and the power to come in after the fact to say that your ad violated regulatory standards. But, uh, you know, every time you put an ad out there, you, you're taking a risk uh, that someone might have a complaint, um, and then you are you know, subject to being looked at. It's a different system than what you see over in, in Europe talked on the show here about many ads that get pulled because they didn't meet the uh, third-party advertising group uh, in Europe, their standards about what is considered a safe ad. Uh, But again, we don't have that that issue here. So it relies a lot on self-regulation. Is that different or similar to a lot of the other, let's just say, food and beverage industries, maybe not alcohol related, but maybe just like say a soda company, or is that really similar or is that unique? Everything is 
in the U.S. is really built around self-regulation, with the exception wow. of a few things in the food industry like meat. So you'll have actual FDA inspectors in meat packing facilities and sometimes in the fruit facilities where they're packing fruit. Uh, but meat is very dangerous in terms of bacteria and illness that can be developed if it's not handled properly. So uh, they actually have FDA inspectors in those meat facilities, everything from chicken to, you know, beef jerky, where they're smoking mm-hmm. the beef jerky. That's still fascinating to me. I remember doing a project in college, though, about more on the, I want to say supplement slash nutrient mm. side of things, where a lot yeah. of it was, you could claim <laughs> just about anything you wanted on packaging. And then after the fact, it was more like if this was disproven or if there was some sort of danger that happened and some people got hurt based on this, then they then you would have to change it. But it, I was I found it you know shocking or eye opening that in a lot of these cases that it's sort of the fix it later kind of uh, kind oh of thing. Gosh, yeah. But again, mm-hmm. di- very different um, from what you guys are doing. This is just I'm talking about advertising. We're talking about advertising strictly. So what goes into the self regulation side of it? Well, uh, you're right. And the supplement industry is a whole different beast. Yeah, and crazy. It, it is fraught for fraud and cases just, you know, not being useful for anything that they're trying to sell you. In the case here of uh, alcohol, um, there's some general rules we all have to follow, whether it's beer, wine, spirits, cider, whatever. So uh, you can't uh, use advertising statements that are misleading, false, or untrue. Now, that's different from a consumer who goes and gets an attorney and wants to file a civil suit against you for false and misleading advertising claim that induced them to buy a product. That's not the same thing as the, the government coming in and saying you are making an untrue statement and therefore you may be subject to a, a government civil penalty or, or even a violation of a criminal statute. In the alcohol space, you're not allowed to say anything negative or disparaging about a, a competitor. That's really interesting when you think about what's the most recent battle of the brands we've been talking about <laughs> yeah, uh, that the last several head. months. Yeah, the corn right? syrup or non-corn syrup battle and between right. beer brands. Budweiser versus Miller versus Coors, right? And in fact, last week, a judge sided with Miller Coors on several of their claims in a federal uh, litigation about some of Budweiser's claims on that corn syrup thing. So that battle's going to be interesting to continue to follow. Now, Budweiser would say, as it pertains to this rule, well, we're not disparaging Miller or Coors. We think it's great that they use corn syrup. We just don't use corn syrup in our beer. Um, yeah. Uh, so there's a fine line about what's disparagement versus what is true. Another rule, you cannot use indecent or obscene representations, design, or statements. You can't use the, in the stilled spirit specifically, you can't use the American flag um, as an indication of being approved by the government. You can't misrepresent analysis, standards, or tests used to test the uh, um quality of the product. Mm-hmm. You can't give any guarantees that are misleading um, with the exception of money back guarantees. You can't make statements that falsely herald the health benefits of alcohol. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> that seems like right? a key one. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Can't make claims that the alcohol is made, sold or marketed under a federal or state regulation because all alcohol is made, sold or marketed under federal or state regulation. Uh, the words bonded or insinuation that the alcohol is made under government supervision are very uh, uh, closely restricted. There is a particular uh, product category for whiskey called bottled and bond. It's an old recipe. Uh, you've got to follow some specific rules, including it has to be at least 100 proof in the bottle, and it's got to be aged at least four years, and then you can say it was bottled in bond. Uh, but that's that goes back to uh, almost uh, Civil War-type days. 
Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, you have to be very careful on claims on your packaging that wine or malt beverages contain distilled spirits. Again, you've got to follow very specific recipes. If uh, if you are advertising that your product X is triple distilled, uh, for example, then it better be triple distilled. If it's five times distilled, it better be five times distilled. And you'll see several, especially vodka uh, brands out there advertising how many times they run it through a still. It, this one's interesting. The word pure, P-U-R-E. Mm. When advertising specifically distilled spirits, uh, you cannot use the word pure unless it's des- describing a specific ingredient like pure cane syrup or uh, pure apple juice Um Otherwise, to use the word pure implies that other products are impure. Now, you got to go back to prohibition days when people were basically buying industrial-strength alcohol, adding coloring, watering it down, and then marketing as pure, and it was uh, leading to a lot of consumer confusion, even though the products were illegal to have, uh, make, and sell anyway. Um, and finally, statements that are not consistent with approved labeling, uh, which is, you know, all of the labels for beer, wine, and spirits have to be approved by the feds, and in some cases the states, and so what's in the bottle better match what is on the label. Those are some of the general rules for how you have to market the product. In terms of things like radio and TV, there are very specific rules that the station demographic, and this impacts uh, our relationship with you guys at, at your radio stations in particular, we have to demonstrate, and the station has to demonstrate, that at least 70% of the listening audience between 9 and 5 are above 21 uh, eight years of age. So this means there are some stations uh, that we cannot advertise on because uh, they don't hit that demographic. And some of those stations are stations especially where you've got moms and dads who uh, they figure through statistical analysis. There are lots of kids in the car between nine and five because they're on their way to school they're on their way home from school or after school activities and so if you can't demonstrate that the statistical reports show at least 70 percent of the listeners at any one time or over 21 you can't buy airtime on those radio stations makes sense yeah absolutely your target market i know it makes things more difficult for you guys but i understand the perspective coming up on cast club radio Someone who claims he accidentally became an owner of a brewery, a local brewery. It's Andy Gundel, owner of Urban Family Brewing, whose story is pretty incredible, starting in Magnolia and about to take a huge step in this next calendar year, moving to Ballard. It's next on Cast Club Radio. Radio right now, joined by Andy Gundel, the owner of Urban Family Brewing. A lot of exciting things on the horizon for you, Andy. First of all, just thank you for taking time to join us today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, guys. What's your background with brewing? How did you first become involved with Urban Family Brewing? So, yeah, I don't, you know, I always like to say I kind of like accidentally bought a brewery. I knew the guys that originally started Urban Family because I moved into the neighborhood and started doing their social media because that's what I was doing kind of part-time for the businesses I used to work in. Um, I was more of like a customer relationship manager for startup companies and I was really bored and looking for something to do to occupy more of my time. Um, And just through knowing them, I ended up, you know, floating an offer out there. They were kind of ready to be done with the brewery and, and bought it from them. 
And then that's when we, it was about three years ago, we really started making changes to kind of, you know, who we were and what we wanted to do. And um, yeah, and now we're here. <laughs> wow. Whatever, whatever we're doing now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to say what exactly Urban Family is about for someone who had never heard of you, and you, you mentioned you did a lot of work with the brand and uh, social media support, what what is Urban Family Brewing all about? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really just kind of about brewing passion for us. I think uh, a big part of what I do is I... I like to surround myself with super knowledgeable people. And I think our brew staff brings a ton of different perspectives to to beer in general. Um, I think a lot of people say, you know, you're a sour beer brewery. And like we do do a lot of sour beers. It's it's kind of predominantly what we're producing um, because we find it interesting. And, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of variation you can put onto it and a lot of different ways you can make it. But yeah, I, th- I think the the overall theme is just like we're trying to do stuff we're passionate about. Everybody's trying to throw something out, an idea they're excited about or an idea they've never seen before. And hopefully it lands with our customers and, um, you know, trying to make beer you like. So hopefully they see that and want to drink it and like it as well. So, yeah. After after time in Magnolia, right? That's where you guys are currently yeah. Okay. So about four years around there. Now a big move for you guys is you expand or move to the Ballard area. In what other ways, other than just this big move, have you really seen Urban Family grow over that time span? Yeah. You know, the move is an exciting one, but I think we wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for, you know, just like coming in and really changing our, our game plan when I took over the company. You know, it was largely being distributed out of state. People in Seattle weren't seeing it, had really little knowledge of, of what it was. And, you know, they were they were predominantly focused on a different style of beer altogether. And we really, we really changed that um, with the focus on, you know, fruit and sour beer and you know, fun IPAs and hot varietals and then just kind of like doing whatever we feel like and throwing fun ingredients in and coming up with silly names. Um, I've really seen us just kind of grow in that way where, you know, we're always looking to push the envelope a little bit or do something new and unique. And sometimes those ideas really land and then we can kind of grow them and improve upon them. Sometimes they don't and we kind of tuck them away and pretend they don't exist. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I think that hopefully answers that question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and you mentioned sours earlier about as as a big part of what you guys are about. And I admit, well, I've got some nerdy beer friends who are always talking to me about sours. And I will raise my hand and say that I feel like I don't know enough about them. So for the people out there like myself who might be a little bit ignorant in that department, what what should we know about sours? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do sours. And I think, you know, a big thing that people see is like barrel-aged sours or beer that comes out of barrels being a little bit tart or funky or interesting. Really what we're doing is doing kind of more of a mixed culture sour. Um, Everything we do, we brew into tanks and then sour with different bacteria to produce lactic acid. So stuff that you would find in like kombucha or yogurt. Like we would cultivate that bacteria to kind of create a tart, you know, snap to that beer and pair that with fruit that we think complements that acidity well. So we do anything. I mean, we have a ton of tropical fruit beers, um, blends of tropical fruit, berries, stone fruit, which would be like peaches, apricots, things like that. 
And then we put that onto our base beer to try and kind of, you know, make something tart, fruity, exciting, or, you know, maybe not somebody's thing either. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're into that kind of like, you know, that, that kind of probiotic kombucha, yogurt, yada, yada, you, you probably already have experienced a little bit of those flavors. Um, and we're just kind of playing off that, growing that up and trying to create something cool. I did notice, like you said, a lot of the tropical fruit on there, things like guava and passion fruit. What, was there a little bit of a learning curve in just even figuring out how to source some of this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a there's a lot of like, we use a lot of fruit purees that are made for of real fruit, mostly out of Oregon, that, you know, are pretty common knowledge to a lot of brewers. But, but for a lot of stuff... You know, we wanted a specific profile. So, like, in our mango beers, we use a very specific type of mango called Alfonso mango, which is native to, like, India, which has a very vibrant, bright color, a little bit more tart and acidic. Um, So, you know, mango can kind of be, like, sweet and dull and overly fleshy. We wanted something that kind of, like, popped out, like, a little bit more like citrus fruit, but um, still with that tropical fruit quality. So we found, you know, we've tried different sources. We found different providers. Um, we've started to narrow down a lot of stuff, but we're always looking for, like, kind of the next fun thing. We've done beers with uh, this farm called Collins Family Orchards. They're out of Yakima, and he does a lot with, like, hybrid fruits, like apriums and nectar cots oh, wow. and all these cool little things that really emphasize interesting qualities in in. Fruit, <laughs> something we enjoy doing. Well, and one of the really unique things about Urban Family is you guys choose not to do flagship beers. That's pretty rare. Why did you guys decide that? <laughs> uh, you know, and it may be probably my own, uh, you know, ADD of just not, uh, <laughs> not being able to focus on one thing and really like, okay, what, what can we do next? How can we improve that? And I think the guys are probably tired of hearing that from me, but like, how do we improve upon this? What do we do next? How do we change this? How do we make it, you know, more interesting? Oh, I saw this complaint. I want to, you know, change it like this, blah, blah, blah. And just not trying to like rest on something super comfortable. I think a, a big part of it is just like, I don't want to get stuck producing something that eventually people are like, yeah, we've had that. Not really into it anymore. Kind of looking for what the next thing is. And that's how I always like looked at beer and bought beer. It's like, I want what's new and fresh and exciting, which we do rotate through a few things. We have a few, like, like I said, the tropical fruit or the stone fruit, like seasonals that come around every like four to six months, trying to manage a flagship just, just proved pretty difficult and didn't leave us a lot of room for creativity. So that's kind of the the main thing, trying to keep passionate about it and trying to keep that creativity high. And one thing that you are working on using all your powers of creativity is the new location that you guys are headed to in Ballard. I know it's probably a labor of love over this next year, perhaps, but what can people expect (laughs) from the Ballard location, eventual Ballard location? (laughs) Yeah, um, kind of the biggest thing is it's going to give us just a lot more ability. We we purchased a new brew system, so right now we're on a 10-barrel system. Uh, which is barrel is 31 gallons. So we're, we're producing about 300 gallons per batch. Um, this will give us obviously a lot more, uh, but it will allow us to have more tank space. We're not, we're still not going with like, you know, 60, hundred barrel tanks or anything like that. We're keeping our tank farm pretty small and manageable so we can 
single batch some interesting stuff that goes into those tanks and still kind of keep, keep that creativity high with a little bit less strain on my brewers so they don't kill me. Yeah. Uh, but overall, kind of a bigger footprint. We're going to have, you know, expand and really focus in our barrel program, making sure, you know, we put an emphasis on getting some cool things in in old wine barrels or spirits barrels or whatever we're kind of feeling at the time or whatever we have access to. And then along with that, kind of the, the big facility ramp up um, is a new tap room. So a little bit more comfortable space right now. We're just kind of plopped in the middle of our production facility. So can't open very early because we're running the forklift in and out of the big bay door <laughs> and don't want to do that around customers. This will give us kind of a, a little bit more of a division in our production versus our tap room and allow people to see a little bit more of the process because by the time we wrap up for the day is when people start coming in. We're hoping that we can kind of overlap some things and, you know, give people closer access to the brewers. And um, I'm sure they're going to love that, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but let them see a little bit more of the process. And um, yeah, and that's a big emphasis of what I want that new taproom to feel like. You know, it's really important to me to connect kind of the customer piece with with the beer side of things because we wouldn't be here without people that were interested in drinking our beer. So, yeah. Well, just about a year off, something for people to look forward to. Until then, they can visit you at your Magnolia Brewery and Tasting Room, right? And where should people go if they want to find out just more information about Urban Family? Yeah, you can check out our social media. Admittedly, uh, I probably spend most of my time on Instagram, like updating (laughs) little stories and dumb videos of things that we're doing on a day-to-day basis. Tend to put our new beers up there when they're coming out so you can see kind of what's new on tap. We roll out on average, probably, you know, one to two new beers a week. Um, anything from like a new fruited sour beer to IPA to something experimental we're doing. I think this week we're actually doing three. We'll have a new Pilsner. So our lager uh, part of our brewery is trying to expand a little bit more now. We're going to have a fruited sour, another tropical fruit, fruited sour with pineapple, guava, and passion fruit. Uh, that'll be available in bottles and uh We'll have another IPA coming out this week that we're just kind of tweaking our base IPA recipe right now, trying to create that, you know, juicy, soft mouth feel that's still hoppy and interesting beer. Um, so, yeah, check out our social media. Come come down and visit us. Poke one of the brewers. Ask them to tell you all about it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Andy. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, guys, I really appreciate it. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, a brand new top five from our favorite, Distiller Dane. We've also got a great new cocktail recipe ahead for you. It's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio right now, joined by one of our favorites, Distiller Dane. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Doing pretty good. Adjusting to this nice weather we're having here. I'm pretty excited about that. Maybe, I'm sure, a couple of your top five today might in, might uh, include things that people can do outside. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Okay, I love it. Let's, let's get started. What's uh, first on your list this week? All right. My first one is kind of random because I don't know how I technically ended up there. And I don't think I've been here in about almost 10 years. But it is Ikea. A large furniture store. Have you guys stepped foot inside one recently? Love it. Yes. God God help you. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. But I decided to stop by kind of on a whim. And I mean, just like it used to be, it's basically like a theme park for furniture and household items that continuously draws you in and you don't know where it ends. 
but the best part of it when I was remembered was little with always the meatballs and hot dogs seeing at the end. But they actually now have like a full blown cafeteria with great food and actually very cheap prices. But it was actually kind of a fun activity. So I definitely recommend stopping by and just checking it out. Yeah, I made the mistake when I first moved into my place uh, of going on a weekend though, and I mm. wanted to die. Yeah, don't was, go during <laughs> peak. Don't go. I, and I had to park hours. so far away. They have like an overflow lot. It was, it was crazy. Well, but there's a reason. Just exactly what Dane's saying. <laughs> Everybody knows about this. It's pretty yeah. awesome. I would just recommend going during the week. I saw a news piece recently about uh, some pranksters who went into IKEA's and were re relocating the maps so that people couldn't figure out how to get out. Oh my gosh. They kept, uh, they kept sending customers into circle loops throughout the entire building. Oh, that'd be my worst nightmare. Oh no. It is a little bit of a maze. I, I believe it. You yeah. get lost in there with the map. So. Oh man. Wow, that's an epic prank. What's uh, number two on your list? Uh, number two is a location slash brewery, as mentioned before, but I'm bringing it up again, and that's E9 Brewing Company out of Tacoma because they just actually moved their brewery to a new location in the brewing district in downtown Tacoma, and they have this beautiful brand new uh, facility and brewing system. It's a 21 and plus tap room. Um, it also has like a very small kitchen, but they got a really cool outdoor area, um, which food trucks stop by and pop up every now and then. So I definitely recommend stopping by and checking out the new spot um, and picking up a pint or two. And then recently last weekend, they also just released two fruited wild ales. So you definitely don't want to miss out on them. Awesome. Limited run well, on those? They should still have some around. The brothers who own the E9 Brewery and they own several restaurants in Tacoma are great business people. They run amazing uh, establishments. And it's well-timed because of the news this week that Tacoma now is the fastest-growing housing market in the entire U.S. Wow. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Seattle to Tacoma, it's not too far off. Well, yep. what's number three on your list? Number three on my list, definitely uh, breaking out to the outside with the nice weather, um, is an outdoor pizza oven wood fired specifically have you guys messed around with these before no yes all right so we we brought up grilling last week justin kept talking about grilled pizza (laughs) that's right it's delicious it's so good so how did i mean where how did you do you have one no, I wish I had yeah. one, but I went to the first barbecue kickoff of the summer at my buddy's place, and he actually just got, like, a, the full-blown one. It's even portable, um, and it was actually kind of fun because you, like, roll out your dough, and you kind of custom make your own pizza, and it's actually kind of like a heart of its own, controlling it around the wood fire in there. It's, it's hotter in some spots yeah. than the others, but it also, after an hour or two of pizza, it kind of got you thinking what else could you cook in there because it really is just an open oven. So by the end of the night, we were cooking up breaded free cheese in there, tomahawk steaks, potatoes, and vegetables. So it's more than just pizza. Chocolate chip cookies, s'mores, um, you know, anything you can think of. And what you need to do is get one of those uh, handheld uh, laser thermostats. You can actually shoot it around inside there to see what the temperature pockets are. Great. Good tip, man. All right, number four. Number four, which is kind of unique, and a coworker actually kind of provided me with the recipe for this, but obviously outside barbecuing on these hot days, I have been known to imbibe uh, with one of my favorite cocktails, and that is the gin and tonic. Nice, So I found out a recipe for perfect for the barbecue season when you're out there barbecuing. So basically, you take some juniper juniper berries and put them on a sheet pan in the grill, and you basically smoke them in there for about 20 minutes. And then you take some orange slices, toss them in sugar, and then cook them directly on the grill. And once those are done, 
Basically, just drop your gin and ice in a large glass and then top it with the smoked juniper berries, grilled orange slice, and then garnish it with some fresh mint. Wow, that sounds ridiculously good. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's the cocktail of the week. Dreamy. <laughs> yeah. I haven't tried awesome. it out yet, but I'm hoping next weekend the sun's out and uh, I'll get to try it out. For yeah, you'll have time. to report back. Yeah, we'll need we'll need a recap on that. And you're, And finally, number five for the week. Number five is actually one of my favorite kind of outdoor activities. Uh, I haven't done in a while, but recently tried it out again, and that is stand-up paddleboarding. Yes, yes. I love it. Uh, so it's actually very fun, but actually quite a workout and a test of your balance. And it's kind of, uh, you get the hang of it kind of quickly. Uh, but if you get a little bit ahead of yourself, you might find yourself rather in the water than on the board still. Um, but I definitely recommend anyone just Google searching and going out there because there's tons of rental places all around. So find the one that's closest to you and get out on the water next time. Absolutely. It does work your core, that's for sure. Yeah, an entire <laughs> body workout. Recommend if you can, try to go either on a lake Try to go somewhere where there's a little less yeah. boat traffic, where you can find yourself a calm spot. Like Green Lake's going to be a lot easier than South Lake Union, where there's yes. a lot of boats. Mm. I see people yeah. <laughs> uh, trying to do it for the first time all the time since I live right by Alki Beach. And it gets pretty windy uh, going around that there. And it's pretty cold over there. So, But hey, more props to you. That's a great list this week, Dane. We love it. We'll make sure uh, we'll make sure we get your review of of the gin, uh, the gin and tonic when we talk to you next time. But thank you again, my friend. All right, sounds good. All right, thanks, Dane. Back. Back to work. Well, we also have another great cocktail recipe for you. If gin and tonics maybe aren't your speed, uh, there's a pretty refreshing cocktail on this week's menu. That's right. We call this the hot pink lemonade, and it requires uh, some raft grenadine um, or regular grenadine syrup you get at the liquor store, some lemon juice freshly squeezed, some of our heritage distilling sweet ghost pepper flavored vodka, and some ice. And uh, pretty simple. Get a shaker, put in the ice, add in an ounce of the grenadine syrup, one ounce of lemon juice, two ounces of the sweet ghost pepper vodka, Shake it, strain it into a tumbler with fresh ice, and you can add to it a, list, a twist of lemon or a Luxardo maraschino cherry. Once again, another one that seems like visually it would just... This seems worthy of Instagram. How about that? It's homemade lemonade, yeah. essentially, with, with a little bit of booze summer. in it. Yes, That's love right. it. <laughs> well, this right. recipe will be available online at heritagedistilling.com, where you can enter. Remember, we talked about it at the start of the hour, the Ultimate Pacific Northwest Summer Weekend Contest. You don't want to miss out on this. It's going to be pretty epic. You can also enter that at heritagedistilling.com, and you can d- download episodes of Cast Club Radio, both this one and past episodes. That's right. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Cast Club Radio. If you've got emails, ideas, questions, suggestions, send them to Cask Club Radio at heritagedistilling.com. And don't forget, only a couple weeks left until Father's Day, and the Cask Club membership at Heritage Distilling makes a great gift. You can find out more about our Cask Club at heritagedistilling.com. That's perfect. Yeah, it's never too early to start thinking about the dads, huh, Justin? No, no. Uh, dads get dads uh, between Father's Day and and uh, Mother's Day. Dads need a little pick me up here. I do exactly. <laughs> well, uh, again, you can check out heritagedistilling dot com for all that. And thanks for hanging out with us today. We'll see you back here next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. 